The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident. Boring to recall Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. That is Sue Kalinske, Sue Blue, Saturday morning, February 3. What's happening? I've been up since 6.30 this morning. Why? I did a run walk, four mile run walk. Now, are you back into the run walking? Oh, I, I, I never stopped. Oh, really? No, never stopped. Now, what's, what happened to golf? Are you still golfing or is that on the... I, I haven't actually played golf, but I've been hitting golf balls. Okay. So I'm, I'm back at the range. All right, good. So you're uh, run walking, you're playing golf. You're like, you're one of the most active people around. Well, I also have to tell you, um, give you an update on what's going on with me being dry. Oh, that's right. No weed, no drink. No weed, no wine, no beer, no vodka. Um, yeah. So today, this a little while ago, you know, when you sign up for um, Medicare, yes, they give you a lot of free medical stuff. Okay. So I have a um, blood pressure cuff that when I do my blood pressure, it goes to the doctor. Okay. Okay. And I've got reprimanded a couple of times from the doctor saying, you got to do it more often. You know, you're supposed to do it every day or at least like, you know, 20 days out of the month. And, you know, and I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So anyway, so you get that and then you get the uh, blood oxygen little clip thing, right? All this stuff comes free with Medicare. It comes free. So they gave Tom a scale. I, I They never offered me a scale. So That's because you run walk and you're very trim. And maybe I'm a woman and I don't want to know how much I weigh all the time. Sure. So this morning, Tom, I get back from my run and Tom says to me, how much do you weigh? And I said, I don't know. I haven't weighed myself since I, you know, lost the weight, since I haven't been drinking. So, uh, he wanted to know how much I weighed because the scale that Medicare gave him was giving him, uh, was higher than the scale in our house. So he says to me, do you have a dumbbell? He said, besides me. <laughs> So I weighed myself. Yep. And I lost seven pounds. Wow. That's amazing. I know. So now it's uh, January is over. We're into February. You haven't had a drink yet in 2024. Will you have a drink soon? You know, I think, like I said to Tom, you know, when we go to Ireland, and it's not that we have plans on going to Ireland like immediately, I will definitely be drinking beer, you know? Right. Um, if we go on vacation, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have a drink. Yeah. But while I'm home and I have no, you know, no reason, I have no desire. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, you know, Juan has uh, gone dry also. And not just well, January. Drier. Is it? He's gone dry. He had seven drinks in January. Okay. He's dry-ish. He's dry-ish. He's dry adjacent. Yes. <laughs> uh, but he's cut way back too. Um, which is great. And, and course, why did I, he do it? Why did he do it? Uh, he just feels like his head is clearer and he's more yeah. productive and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I of course, have uh, given up nothing, nothing <laughs> at all. I am still eating my gummies every day. Case I've given up smoking. Okay. Yeah, I gave that up. All so right. I'm just on the gummies now. Okay, you look good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I feel good. Um, so a couple of things here. I wanted to do a couple of things. First of all, Gideon Glick is going to join us. He is one of the co-stars of Maestro, which, Sue, I had a chance to watch last night again. And let me describe my, my viewing position. We have this massage chair now. It's one of the largest purchases I have ever made. It's beautiful. It's crazy. It massages you every which way. And there are Bluetooth speakers on both sides of your, uh, your head. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching Maestro. And I'm basically in surround sound. And by the time you get to that conducting scene, I'm mm -hmm. like, I am so wrapped up in this movie. I 
absolutely loved the movie more the second time than I did the first time. Now, do you love, did you love your chair more than the movie? I did love the chair. I love, but I, I love the chair, but I also love, I mean, the speakers are like right by, so you're completely enveloped in the mm -hmm. movie. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I was like mesmerized during that conducting scene that he does with Mahler's second. I had to look that up. It's Mahler's second is the big uh, uh, scene that he does. Um, so anyway, uh, Gideon Glick's coming up. I want to remind everybody, this is something, I was reading an article. I'm reading a lot of articles about how to grow a podcast because I'm really focused on growing the podcast. And we've got such great loyal people that are out there every time we do this show. And they're, let me just say to those people, first of all, recommend the show. If you know somebody who is just right for culture pop and you know they're going to like, recommend the show, tell them about it. Um, the other thing is you can always do, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can uh, subscribe to the channel, which is great. Um, and you can leave us a comment or a review or whatever down below. And I'll tell you this much. We're going to do in a, a minute here a segment about greatest Broadway performances we have ever seen. And if there is one that sticks out for you, go to the comment section and tell us about it. And uh, we'll respond to you and react back and forth. So that's on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the uh, to the Spotify and the Apple so that you've got the podcast coming in on a regular basis. And again, five-star review, uh, a five-star rating, leave us a review, all that stuff uh, helps. So what, what, what else? What else? What else? Um, you know, Tell I'm, your friends. I am hearing something through my headphones. Do you, are you, do you hear any like music playing? I do not. I believe that is in your head. I'm wondering, I don't know where it's coming <laughs> from. And I think. Is it coming from your computer? No, I can't hear it. I wonder if it's, you know, sometimes when I put, when I'm listening with this mic and my headphones, yeah. whatever is happening in the other room, I hear. Oh, okay. Well, sometimes the garbage taking a shower. <laughs> there you go. See, the garbage truck will go by the studio sometimes, and I'm always like, "Oh God, this is going to be so can't hear it." These mics are very like directional. I think that's that's why. Yeah, I think that's what I hear. I hear the shower. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, that's uh, that's uh, the show. Now, let me. I came across a quote from George R. R. Martin. Do you know who that is? George R. 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 Double R. You wrote uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Books, well, okay. I didn't see Game of Thrones. So there That's you true. Go. So he wrote something that I think is, or said something I think is really apropos. I think it's actually one of the reasons why movies are less fun to talk about than they used to be. Let me, let me explain. He says, it used to be fun talking about our favorite books and films and having spirited debates with fans who saw things different. But somehow in this age of social media, it is no longer enough to say, I did not like book X or film Y, and here's why. Now social media is ruled by anti-fans who would rather talk about the stuff they hate than the stuff they love and delight in dancing on the graves of anyone whose film has flopped. It's all so sad. Could not agree with mm. George R.R. R. Martin. It has become, and by the way, Maestro is one of these. Some people just don't like it and they're, they're upset about it. I, I absolutely love the movie, but it should be a, a debate as opposed to, you know, uh, God, I, you know what I hate is those Razzie awards. I hate those, you know, yes. they do the awards. Yes. I'm yes. like, it's so, horrible. It's just mean. It's, it's mean spirited. Yeah. Yeah. And I always look, you know, at the end of a movie, I see all those names, right? You know, hundreds of names on it. And I try to sit through the whole thing. Uh, because I want to pay respect to all the people that work. And I never really crap on movies because I'm like, so many people worked on that. So many people believed in that project. I'm not going to just crap. You can debate it, but I'm just not going to crap trash. on it. You're not going to just trash on it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's it, everything has become very mean-spirited. And I, and I don't really like that. And, and I, I have to say that sometimes I'm a little guilty of saying something not great about a film. Are um, you? Like, what's an example? Well, May, December. I mean, I really oh, right. all you over hated that. May, December. You know, I, I really didn't like it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do 
I do get what he's saying, and I would appreciate more of a spirited conversation about anything. Yeah, I mean, we get so much, that sucks. He's the worst. No way I'm ever seeing it. I mean, a lot of that on social media, I'm trying to engage more on social media um, in sort of pulp uh, pop culture ways. Um, I actually wrote a little tweet about uh, about Maestro this morning. So, but I, I, I and I, it's interesting to have a debate. It's it's terrible when somebody just it sucks. You know what I hear a lot when something uh, when a film is inspired by a true story, mm-hmm. and they change things dramatically. Yeah, people get very very upset about that, even they do. though. It is inspired by this story. So it's not the exact story. And they do take liberties with adding things for dramatic content or whatever. Like even with Maestro. Um, Oh, yeah. I I read, you know, that, you know, there were people that were upset because, and we're going to talk to Gideon about this, that the character he played, um, some people thought he got short shrifted because he was more in Leonard Bernstein's life than they portrayed in the film. Correct. And, you know, this was Bradley Cooper's film. Yes. And he put in what he wanted to put in. Right. And he chose to focus on Felicia. Felicia's story. Yes. You know, and, you know, maybe that's another movie. If, if at some point someone else wants to make a movie about that story. Yes. Yes. So I find that people trash movies because of that too. Yeah, and yeah. It's really, it's really unfair to the director because that's not the movie he set out to make. Now I was a PA on a movie called Monkey Shines in 1987, and I even respect when the list of PAs comes comes up on the screen because mm-hmm. I'm like, man, those are they are doing the dog tired work man if you're a pa you're picking up garbage and you're cleaning up after people and i mean the pas work really really hard and Mm -hmm. and that's just an example all the people on that list are like you know they're they're fully emotionally invested um in it i it reminds me of a story um i in 1988 i think i was out in la i decided i'm going to make it in show business um this i took a step away from radio and I ended up working on a show called The Highwayman, which is was a show about a semi-truck that could fly. So it was kind of a superhero semi-truck flying. And it, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but I worked with people who were very smart, who were saying things like, I think we've got something here. Like, uh-huh. I think this is real. And people do believe in a project. It was crap in the end. Oh, look, I just did exactly what I said <laughs> not to do. It was, it was interesting. It was an interesting well, experience, but it was not a very good show. Well, you know, sometimes there's a thin line. Like I remember there was a show years ago. His name is Ron. He was in, um, oh my God, it's like someone Perlman. vacuuming in my house. Ron Perlman. Um, it wasn't Ron Perlman. Um, he was in ER. He dated Julianne Margulies in real life. I forget his name. Ron something. Okay, he was Ron in something. he was in cop shows too. Okay. But he did a show where he played this blind cop. Yep. Who actually drove a car. No, really? Yes. And and he like fought crime as this like blind cop. And it was like it was more than a stretch. I mean yes, it was yes. kind of ridiculous. So I mean sometimes there's a bit of a there's a, leap a line that is required. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it's like, uh, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I know you guys work really hard on this, but I cannot go along for the ride on this show. But see, that's a sensible conversation. Yeah. Like, I'm not buying that. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Saying it's crap is right. Right. Not, not nice. I, I'm going to try to, I, I set the rule and then immediately broke it, you but broke I'm going to go back it. to following the rule. <laughs> So uh, it's hard. It's hard when something is, you know, a little out there and you just can't buy it. I'm just not buying it. All right. So uh, Gideon's going to join us here in a minute. And I thought he, by the way, is in, was part of the original Broadway cast of Spring Awakening, which I, I saw him perform it. I saw Jonathan Groff and Liam. It's, it's fantastic. Um, But I thought walking up to that, how about 
our favorite couple of Broadway performances, actors who really blew you away. And I will tell you my first one. Okay. I was all of 17 years old and we took our senior trip to Broadway when I was in high school. And we went to see Dreamgirls, the original Broadway production with Jennifer Holliday and the end of act one is one of the great moments I have ever seen on stage. The, I'm, and telling, I'm you. telling you, I'm not going, I mean, I'm like, oh my, the, this, she just blew it away. And I thought, how lucky now that performance is, you see it on the Tonys or highlights and all, and you're like, God, I got to see it live and in person. And it was my first Broadway show that I had ever been to. Um, and I was just amazed at what Broadway could do. I get a chill just thinking about it because I saw it, it as well. Yeah. Oh, God. And Such I a great show. had never seen a performance. I had seen a lot of plays up until that point. When I was in college, I was in the theater department, and um, they used to take a, a group of students to Manhattan. I went to school upstate New York in Newport, mm -hmm. so it was like an hour and a half outside the city. Right. And they used to, uh, they, they rented a bus and they would take the students. You had to pay extra for this and you would see Broadway shows. So I got to see a lot of Broadway shows, nice. you know, when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. Anyway, that is actually one of my all time favorite performances okay. because it was, it, 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 it like went through your body. It was just, I had never seen a performer. Um, belt out a song like that and be so committed and just the story too i mean it all was just um, wait a minute what is the show dream girls oh oh i'm sorry you're talking about i get it i thought so, you'd switched off yeah no 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 what i was saying is that i had seen a lot of plays as you know when i was younger but when i saw that show up until that point i hadn't seen a performance as mm. powerful as that. And I saw a chorus line, the original. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Donna McKechnie. And, you know, also that was just phenomenal. It's the big so, song, What I Did for Love, right? Um, what was it? Um, um, Music in the Mirror also was, uh, was, was, uh, one of the top songs in that too. Yeah. That's when yeah. she's, aud she's auditioning and she's talking to the director. Yes. And then she goes into that song because he's telling her how great she is, you know, because she says, I'm, I'm a chorus girl. And he says, well, you're more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I ended up interviewing Donna McKechnie last year for the Silver documentary because oh. she was friends. She was in a show with Silver when she was a young, young woman. Oh, that she is was, cool. She was in, I think she was a teenager and she shared a dressing room. You know, every, all the, everybody in the cast was in the same dressing room, but she was next to Silver. So they became very, very good friends. Oh, that's amazing. That's very cool. So that was cool. Okay. So I got one more. Okay. I, when I think Broadway, I think Patti LuPone. Mm -hmm. I'm such a I'm such a Broadway nerd, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see Patti LuPone in something, and we went to New York, and she was doing Gypsy, mm. and we sat in the second row, and at the end of Rose's turn, the big big number, she's out at the lip of the stage, and. She has, she's doing this for pretend applause, right? Rose's turn is, you know, this is my moment. The place is just raucously, wildly applause for, uh, for Patty Lapone. And she just, she just owned that moment in such a way, um, that for me, it was just absolute magic. And I, right now talking about it. It gives me chills. Um, and someday I will be able to say, I got to see Patti LuPone on Broadway in a show that she just, I think she won the Tony or she won all the awards and all that stuff um, and was born to play that role. There are very few people that can play uh, Mama. She, she is one of them and she just absolutely blew me away. She's a very, very cool woman. I actually got to meet her Years ago, I was doing stand-up in Washington, D.C., and Penny, my then-boyfriend, sure. he was at one club, and I was at another club, and the club that he was at, he was performing with Dr. Katz, Jonathan Katz. Yeah, right. Jonathan was very good friends with Patti LuPone, so she went to the show to see them, and then we all met 
at a bar after. And I, you know, hung out with her. And you Kenny hung out with Patty Lapone? Hung out, had drinks with her. But in, in typical Kenny fashion, he flirted with her the entire night. <laughs> he was dancing with her, you know. Um, I don't remember if she was with somebody. She may have been. But, um, but she was just cool and fun and, um, you know. Oh, that's anyway. awesome. That's she's awesome. everything, she's everything you would hope she would be. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. Do you have one more? I have one more. Um, this was probably one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. It was the, uh, the Lehman Brothers. Uh, so oh, it was yeah. the Lehman Trilogy. Yeah. About the Lehman Brothers and their rise and fall. And I didn't see it on Broadway. I saw it here, but I saw it with the Broadway cast. Okay. And the actor who won the Tony for Best Actor, Simon Russell Beale, um, mm. his performance. I don't even know how they were able to pick because two of the other actors were also nominated for the same thing. Oh, yeah. They were equally incredible. But he won the Tony. But the entire cast was insane. Um, but that yeah, I was missed just, that show when it was in town. Yeah, I had talked to you about it, and I I don't know whether it maybe I had seen one of the last performances. I I don't know. But yeah. If it ever comes back, yeah. No matter who is in it, you have to see it because it's an incredible story. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would love to see it. Um, I you know sometimes going to straight shows, it's like pulling teeth with me. What would you say? Not a musical. Oh. Oh, you call them straight shows? I call them straight shows, yeah. You don't call them like drama or? I straight? call them, I, I don't know. Straight, I think straight shows. Oh, straight okay. shows as opposed to musicals. Okay. It, it kind of sounds like it has a double meaning. Yeah, it's not meant to. Yeah. It's not meant yeah. to. But I've heard that somewhere. I think that is a, maybe huh. people on Broadway say that. I'm not sure. Um, all right. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Our guest today has made his Broadway debut. Um, as a member of the original cast of Spring Awakening, he has gone on to starring roles in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and he was a Tony nominee for Aaron Sorkin's stage adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. His screen work includes roles in Devious Maids, Ocean's 8, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. His latest project is in Bradley Cooper's Maestro. He plays Leonard Bernstein's great love, Tommy Cothran. Gideon Glick joins us. Gideon, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. So I watched Maestro again last night, and I I am blown away by that movie. I'm blown away. First of all, I should have probably known more about Leonard Bernstein than I do. Um, but for me, it was like a, an interesting way in. And I'm just amazed at Bradley Cooper's performance and the ability to direct the movie while he's giving that performance. What, what was that like? I mean... I'm amazed too. He would get there like hours upon hours before any of us because he had to get into his whole prosthetics. And so I, I don't really understand how he did it with so little sleep because, uh, you know, he was the first to arrive and the last to leave every day. And he is so, so present. And, uh, you know, what I found so exceptional is, you know, he, he prepped for, for this movie for like six years mm. and we improvised a lot, a lot of our scenes and every take, it was different. It was full. It had knowledge of the, of, of the, the present time and his life. And he just was, I felt like I was with Leonard Bernstein the whole time. Mm. Wow. Now I read something very interesting that you guys uh, stayed in character together, even during breaks in shooting. Now, yeah. is that, is that, is that not an ordinary thing for you? Uh, well, I've certainly never experienced that before. Uh, you know, Bradley, Bradley would sort of, so Bradley never lost the voice. He would always maintain it, I think, as a, it, you know, it was smart because it's such a, a particular way of speaking. And so he would sometimes talk to me as Bradley, always in the voice. And then sometimes he would talk to me as Leonard Bernstein in between scenes. So much so that once uh, there's a scene that I don't actually think made the final cut. But I didn't realize we were filming until two minutes into it because mm. he was always engaging you as characters, uh, as the character. So I, I just thought we were just talking, but no, we were filming. You know what I love is a great long take. This movie is filled with great long takes, right? Where the camera is planted and then like there's a great uh, scene uh, where 
Felicia is diagnosed with cancer. And it's a really long take there beforehand. And then the doctor comes in and then there's a reaction. I'm like, this is, it has to be magic for an actor to work in that environment, especially like a theater actor like you. It was magic. It was really, really electric. And, you know, again, it was really immersive. So you, you got lost in it. And he is so good and so electric and so alive that you really just, you know, you, you sit. And you listen. That's really what you do. And you respond. It was really an incredible gift. And also to do that, my section was all filmed in Panavision. So mm. we were doing these long shots and takes and improvising in Panavision. I mean, it just that I, 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 I felt very lucky. Yeah. You know, he, he really is a bold filmmaker. He was doing stuff like he did a lot of wide shots. Where, and there was one particular scene where he was with Carrie Mulligan and they were in a field somewhere. And he, and, you know, you know that most directors after a, a, some point would push in. So we just see them close up. And I, I think that whole scene was shot wide. So you were just such a, it was so kind of like voyeuristic where like, like if you were to see this couple from afar. That's all you would get to see. Yeah. And that's how the scene was shot. And I thought it was so brilliant and so brave for him to, to do something like that. I agree. I mean, there's a, a real sense of cinema verite with this film. And I, I, it feels like you're snooping on these people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bradley really trusts the process. He really trusts his actors. He puts a lot of faith in them, too. And he, we didn't do a lot of takes. I mean, I, we would traditionally do like three takes, which is pretty wild to me. You know, I, the, the movie for me is about sort of a longing. I mean, it's obviously about Leonard Bernstein, but it's also about this longing. Like you, you're, when we're first introduced to your character, Tommy, Tommy and Lenny are sort of kissing and getting to know each other. And Carrie Mulligan walks in on it. Felicia walks in and walks away. And I'm like, my heart my heart breaks for everybody in that. I mean, for, for Lenny, for her, cause she's made this, I, would you call it a compromise? She's made this compromise in life to share Lenny. I mean, it, that, I don't know if I would say compromise because it, I would say it's an agreement. This is what she, they signed up for together. And so, uh, you would have to ask her if that was a compromise and, that's up to you to decide after seeing the movie, but I certainly wouldn't uh, put uh, put that term on. What would you put on? What would you put on? An agreement. An agreement. I, yeah. I you know, I, I think they she 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 knew who he was in the in the beginning, and she knew she knew what she was signing up for. I, I don't think she understood necessarily the emotional toll, but she understood the 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 parameters of what it was going to be. Now, do you think that he was conflicted? Uh, because I read some quote, and I think it was from uh, Arthur Lawrence, who who was his creative partner in West Side Story. He said that he wasn't conflicted; he was just a gay guy. Um, yeah. So, are you asking me if he was? Uh, I, well, I want to know your. Well, well, we knew he was gay, but I wanted I want to know what if you felt that he was conflicted because when you watched the scenes with he and Felicia. They were such a heterosexual couple. They looked so much in love. He looked like he was so much in love with her. And then you saw the other side of him. So what was your take on, on who he was? I mean, I think he's fluid. I think he, I, I do think he was predominantly gay, but I do think he was fluid. And, and I mean, he, he, he was in love with Felicia. They sired children together. I mean, that, that takes, um, uh, some fluidity. And I think he, you know, I think the movie really shows he has a lot to give and a lot to take, but he, he, I, I, he really wants to love and experience. And so I, I think it becomes, um, more fluid and, and kind of messy. You know, I read a really beautiful account of uh, the relationship between Tommy and it's Catherine, right? Tommy Catherine. Yeah. Um, who you play. And it, this, this was written by a guy named Peter Napolitano, who was apparently friends with, with Tommy. And uh, he talked about- He was about, also his lover too. Oh, that's right. That's he right. He was his lover for a short period of time. Um, but, but Lenny went back and saw Tommy 
at the end of Tommy's life because he uh, died of AIDS. Um, but he paid for his medical bills and his rent and all that stuff. For you, what was Tommy a great love of Lenny's? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, Tommy was one of the only really gay domestic relationships they have. I mean, he had, they lived together for, for years. They lived together in California. They lived together in New York. Tommy, uh, you know, there's a lot of literature and, and even, uh, even the Bernstein children would say there was a sense of liberation that, that Lenny started to feel when he was with Tommy. He started to dress differently. He sort of, um, stepped into his gay self. Uh, and so they were together for years. And then, uh, you know, Felicia, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. He went back to Felicia, but they stayed in contact till Tommy died. And as you said, he was he was by he was he was there on his deathbed. I I, I think Tommy is one of his great great loves, and that was really exciting to to be able to portray. Now, did you ever talk to Bradley Cooper about the fact that he didn't include that in the film? You know, we talked about. Uh, I I put some ideas. I guess of, of maybe like some scenes and so forth. And he was, he, he engaged with them, but I, you know, I, I, I think he, the movie is from the perspective of their relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, especially as a gay man, obviously I, I, that, that what interested me most about this movie was his relationship with Tommy. And, and obviously as the actor, I'm playing Tommy, but that, that for me was this hidden history. And so in my research, I got really, really excited about it. And so, but I, you know, I had to reconcile with the fact that that that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about the relationship between Felicia and Lenny. Yeah. And so I came out when I was 28 and then came out publicly when I was 51. Uh, you came out when you were young. Um, it's hard to imagine that era the you know i think about the lavender scare and i think about the 50s and the 60s and everything pre-stonewall stonewall and what what men went through uh during that period of time and it's i i i find it really hard i mean i think we're lucky the era that we live in but how difficult it must have been for lenny and so many people like him in that era yeah, but I think what, what's interesting about his relationship with Tommy is how liberated it was. And I think that is, that is really fascinating. And that was something I, I think we, we, um, sort of pounced on because it doesn't, that relationship isn't that discreet. I don't think even, I think when you're seeing the movie, it doesn't feel discreet. And, and in real life, it really wasn't. It was, um, it was this liberated love. And so I think that was really special about their relationship. And I think also when, you know, when I was younger, sometimes I, I, I would date older men. And I know there was this, uh, I could sense because I came out so early and Tommy was out quite early. I mean, he was, they meet in his, in his mid twenties. Um, that there is this uh, kind of spark about, um, sometimes with an older man and a younger man who is more self-actualized at that point. And that's sort of part of the attraction. And I think there was a little bit of that in their relationship. Hmm. Yeah, um, you know, because, okay, okay, I, I was, <laughs> was going to say, um, yeah, there's that scene. This One of the really affecting scenes in the movie was when um, he has to explain to his daughter, or his daughter has heard rumors, and he has to explain to his daughter, and his daughter says to him, I'm glad it's not true. And we stay with Lenny through that moment, and I'm like, he knows that who he is is not what his daughter hopes for right and it's just it, yeah go ahead well i was just gonna say it's my it's my favorite scene in the movie and i think bradley is so brilliant in that movie because they stay on him and you see the thought that he yeah. has after it's done and it breaks your heart yes and i think what he does so well in this movie is conveying so much without words and i think carrie's incredible at that as well and he i, I think that scene is really evocative of that yeah yeah now bernstein's uh, children had um much to do with this right so yeah. um so they were around while you were shooting and and what was your relationship with them as an actor well i only really met them after um it was really in, when we were starting to promote the movie that that i met them um you know I, I, jamie has uh 
her very, very famous book, uh, Famous Father Girl. Um, I hope that's the title. I'm not butchering it. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it. But, um, uh, and a lot of the uh, uh, the movie, there's a lot of that book in the movie. And I know that they were really, really happy with the film and with Bradley's um, take on on his life and how he inhabited their father. But, you know, we actually were in, we were really at, when we go up to Connecticut, that's really there. Connecticut mm. home. We were filming in their home. Wow. So we, uh, Carrie was actually in the scene where uh, I come in with Bradley into the Connecticut home and Carrie's up on the stairs. She's wearing this dress. That is actually their mother's dress. Wow. And what's so spooky is it fits Carrie perfectly. They didn't alter it at all. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want to talk about Broadway. Okay, let's do it. Because uh, I'm, I'm kind of a Broadway nerd. So am uh, I. Yeah. Um, so I was blown away the first time I saw Spring Awakening. You were in the original Broadway cast. I ended up seeing it at least three to maybe three or four times. Um, I absolutely love the show. It premiered in 2006, but there, it was workshopped for a long time. When did you originally come on to that project? Yeah, I came on pretty close to production. I... You know, I had auditioned for a workshop maybe a year or two before. Um, and then, um, I, they, we, they did a, uh, a workshop right before they did the Atlantic production. And I was up for another part in the show and I got very, very close to that. Then I didn't get that. And so then I went away. I thought it was over. And then after the workshop, they brought me back for the part of Ernst. And so I did a, one more callback and then I got that part. And so I basically came in, uh, at the Atlantic. So pretty close to the end or really the beginning of the actual production. And you were young. Were you 18 when you were cast in that? I was 17. I was a senior 17 in 17 years old. Now, yeah. were you, were you out at that point? I came out when I was 12. So, uh, I was a pretty precocious oh. kid and I was pretty self-aware and I was lucky that I had a very progressive parents. So, and I felt safe to, to do so. Wow. So you, very uh, lucky. yeah, very, very, you, so you're 17 or 18 years old. You're on Broadway. It's like the hottest show. Every taxi cab has got spring awakening on top of it. What, what's that like being, being essentially a kid in, in that world? You know, it's funny. Um, there's this like youthful arrogance that one can possess in my head when I was in high school, my idea of what I was going to do was go to Broadway. And it was so very clear and, uh, that I would be in a, a big Broadway show. So in a strange way, I thought, Oh, well, this is normal. This is like, this is what this is what I expected. And it was only afterwards when I, you know, I really started to make a career. I go, Oh, that was an anomaly. I didn't understand that at the time. It was exciting and thrilling and so forth, but you're in the, you know, you're in the eye of the hurricane. It seems you, you're not, you're not really aware of what is going on. So it was only after the fact that I became aware of, um, like, wow, what was that? Yeah. You see, I came to, uh, the spring awakening party very late. I didn't get to see it until maybe it was five years ago. Friends of mine's son was in a production of it. Um, it wasn't through his high school, but he was in high school and I knew nothing about it. I had no idea the sexuality, young kids. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, just because I, I, I know their kids since he's a baby and to see him, you know, kissing another guy and, and just just how uh, potent the sexuality was for these young kids. Um, I just thought it was incredible that they got that experience at that age. Yeah, I mean, I think that was uh, the subject matter, obviously, the music, so groundbreaking. But they also, they made a very conscious effort to cast people close to that age. And I think that is what made it so fascinating. And it was a really long casting process. I, again, as it, it was workshop for so long, and they they really tried to make sure that the kids who were part of it um, uh, had a maturity and also had, you know, I think the voices in Spring Awakening, quite literally, the timbre of the voices, it has a, there's, it's unique. And I think we, they cast people who had point of views. And, and I think that, uh, I think that helped the show. Uh, we had John Gallagher on when, uh, when the uh, reunion 
movie came oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he talked about how moving it was and what it was like putting the cast back together, how people changed, how they stayed the same. How did, what, what was that like for you? It was therapeutic, I would say. I mean, it's like, you know, you meet these people at that age that is like, it, it's such a important time in your life and to go through such a big thing together and then to regroup and, you know, and to sing the songs, it's music is inherently nostalgic, but then to actually sing them together again, it was, um, it was, it was so, so emotional. And it's like, again, it's like your family, you, you, cause you, it's, it's trial by fire and, and it's an experience that nobody else has. It, it, it's such a, 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 a truly unique experience. And so I, coming back together, I, I think we were all sort of dazzled by the, by the experience. I loved all the stories, you know, the things that we didn't know that happened yeah. when you guys were younger. Um, the conversation, well, I know the conversation between, uh, Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groffman about, um, like he, what, what was it? What was it about being, um, gay? He had never, but he hadn't kissed a girl or he didn't know how to do it. And she, would she show him, would she show him her vagina or something? I think like she that? showed him her vagina with a, with a desk lamp or <laughs> with something. With a lamp. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know that story. So that was, oh, that was shocking so, to me. If, you know, I, I told so many people who hadn't seen the show, I said, you know what? You got to see the show. But even if you hadn't seen the show, you have to see this documentary because it was so much fun. It was really great. Now, I don't remember. Now, it was the first time that all of you had been together in 15 years, but had you seen any of these castmates in all oh, those years? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I've, I've maintained friendships with, with, with a couple. And again, mm -hmm. like there, there's a group chain that has always sort of been around. Um, you know, uh, 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 after the Parkland shooting, uh, they were doing a community, uh, some of the survivors were doing a community theater production of Spring Awakening. So I actually organized a, uh, a trip where we, I brought, I think it was the only person that couldn't unfortunately make it was, was Gallagher, but we all went down to Parkland and we, we mm. did workshops with them and we watched mm. the rehearsal and we sang with them. And so that was, I think that was the last time that we were all together, um, which was a very intense and, uh, I'm experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you were nominated for a Tony for your work in To Kill a Mockingbird, and you worked with the great Aaron Sorkin, one of the great writers of uh, this generation. Sure. When you when you first read the play, what was your take on Sorkin's adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird? What's interesting, the first time I read the play was a cold read uh, uh, for the producers and for Aaron and so forth, because they wouldn't let me see the, the, the show ahead of time. And so that was sort of... Um, I was, I knew that was my audition, but it was, uh, uh, we did, we, they, they gathered a whole cast to, to read the whole play. So my first impression was, uh, you know, not like pooping my pants because uh, I was so nervous and I wanted to do a good job and so forth. And then, uh, as it, you know, coursed through my body and I started to do it more and more, I realized like just how profoundly good it was. And, you know, he, he really, modernized it in in a really special way and brought out things in the book that I think we all love and he sort of challenged them a little bit and just sort of shifted everything uh, a tiny tiny bit on its axis and I think I think it was hugely successful had you seen the movie oh of course yeah yeah oh god yeah 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 okay um so we were talking before you got here um about our favorite Broadway performances, like uh -huh. actors performances. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think, uh, mine were, I saw Jennifer holiday do dream girls oh, jealous. in 1982. Um, and I saw Patty Lapone do gypsy in, I forget what year, but I was talking about mama's turn and, and the way she, she was unreal. Sue, what were, what were yours? Mine was, um, well, it was uh, Jennifer Holiday yeah, too. Holiday, yeah. Uh, Russell Simon Beale in uh, the Lehman trilogy, and Donna McKechnie. I got to see uh, in a chorus line. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah. So for you, when you what think were about they? yeah, what greatest Broadway performances? For me, it actually was Bernadette Peters doing Gypsy. I thought mm. that 
um, that production was pretty astonishing. And I grew up watching Into the Woods and had a deep, deep appreciation and fandom for Bernadette Peters, especially her performance as the witch. And I was really bowled over. I think she was really phenomenal. She does something that I, I think a lot of roses don't do where there was a sensuality and a sexuality. And um, it wasn't necessarily about the robustness. And it, it was, it, I felt by the end, she, she could have been, she truly could have been Gypsy Rosalie. And she hmm. could have had, um, maybe she could have been a stripper. She could have been a star. And that I thought um, was uh, very unique. And it, it moved me very much. So I try to get to, I, I was in New York over the holidays and I saw, let me see, I saw Merrily We Roll Along. Loved it. Which is great. Um, I saw Kimberly Akimbo. Also love. Which is totally just unbelievably original. Um, and then I saw Anne Juliet, which I totally I mean, great, fun. But I didn't realize when I went in that it was a jukebox musical, and I sort of don't generally love those. So right. what should I have seen? Or what should I see when I come back in the spring? Um, You know, I, I hope that, that uh, not to plug a show that I was in, but the, the Little Shop of Horrors at the West Side Theater, I think it's going to be, I think right now it's Darren Chris and Evan Rachel Wood. It's a really good production. I've seen it. I saw it a bunch with Jonathan Groff and I've seen it since I've left. And it's really Michael Mayer of Spring Awakening. Uh, mm -hmm. really, really does an extraordinary job. Um, uh, so I would advise that. And, um, I don't know what's going to be in the spring, but, right. uh, I just saw appropriate, which, uh, a Brandon Jacob Jenkins play starring Sarah Paulson. And I thought that was really, really extraordinary. Oh, stereophonic. You must see Stereophonic. It's coming to Broadway. It will be there in the spring. It is uh, one of the best plays I've seen in recent memory. Wow. It is. It's sort of the. Um, it's basically the making of of Fleetwood Mac, um, making of Rumors, and it's you oh, really cool. talk about cinema verite. You really feel like you're a fly on the wall, and the actors are incredible, and they all sing and they play uh, instruments, and it's 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 extraordinary. By the way, I, I saw the original. I don't know if it's the original. Uh, boy, I saw Ellen Green oh. do Little Shop of Horrors. Um, and I just remember <laughs> suddenly Seymour and those songs. She was amazing to see. She's amazing. I got to see her do it at City Center with Jake Gyllenhaal all these years later. And it's, it's funny that we were talking about revisiting Spring Awakening all these years later. It, it's really profound to see someone who has mastered a, a character and then comes back because you're watching a performance, but you're also watching, again, nostalgia and you're watching a sense of, of looking back at the same time. And it, I cried the gayest tears when she sang <laughs> somewhere that screen. I truly, truly, I like, I've never been so, so wet in my face. It was, yes. uh, it was I so wanted, moving. I want to hear the lyrics to that song. <laughs> that does sound like a good number yeah <laughs> um well dude this has been fantastic um Likewise. really love doing it um maestro is streaming now on netflix um i again i watched it for the second time last night it's it's amazing uh, I'm rooting for Bradley Cooper to win all the awards. I don't know if it's going to happen, uh, but I hope he wins all the awards. I'm voting for him in the SAG Awards, um, and we'll see what happens. But can't wait to see what you do next, man. Congratulations on uh, Maestro, man. Thanks, guys. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, too. There you have it. There's Gideon Glick. Um, again, Maestro, beautiful film. Um, and Bradley I don't know why he's not... Apparently, it's going to be Killian Murphy or Paul Giamatti. It's a really crowded category. They're both fantastic. Uh, but I, in the SAG Awards, I'm voting for Bradley Cooper. Yeah, he was great. And I don't know if I talked to you about this, but the best damn cigarette smoking I've ever seen yeah. in a film or, or just on the screen. This was definitely a masterclass on how to smoke cigarettes. Every person who is a smoking Coach? Yep. Smoking coach. They have smoking coaches. No, they don't. Do they, they really? They do. Oh, yeah. Coach we talked to, to, we, we talk to uh, Divine um, uh, Joy, Randolph? Joy Randolph. 
because I asked her if she smoked and she said that she did have a smoke coach, but she, she watched Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. But what was amazing with their smoking, because a lot of times when actors who don't smoke, smoke, they inhale and nothing comes out or they do one of these like, they inhale and then they just go, you know? Right. They don't, right. they don't. But in this film, there were French inhaling. There was smoke coming out of their mouth, their nose. I mean, while they were talking, it was so real because they really knew how to smoke. Well, that's, uh, that's a bonus, right? Well, it was because it takes me out of, it takes me out of movies. Yeah. Having never been a smoker, I didn't realize there was like a right way and a wrong way and a real way and a fake way. Really? Yeah. Never even occurred to me because I don't know what to look for since I never smoked. Um, By the way, would you say that that is the gayest interview we've ever done or the gayest show we've ever done? We talked about uh, everything from uh, Jennifer Holliday to Leonard Bernstein (laughs) to Patti LuPone. Bernadette Peters. Spring Awakening. I mean, all, all of it. We really nailed it. And he said that he cried gay tears. Exactly. So. You know, I always think if somebody is listening that follows me on ESPN, they're like, oh my God, I, this is like a totally different version of, of Mason. Well, they don't know your, your love for Broadway. Don't you, talk, you don't talk about it on your show. I, you know, rarely does Jennifer Holiday get a shout out <laughs> on Mason in Ireland. Unless she threw out the first ball. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you have it. There's a show for today. We appreciate you very much for listening. Again, recommend the show to somebody. We love that when you, uh, when you do it. And, uh, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the like button and leave us a comment on there. Uh, th- actually, that's a good conversation. Greatest Broadway performance ever. Gideon's was. Bernadette Peters in Gypsy. I had Patti LuPone in Gypsy. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, Sue. What do you got going the rest of the weekend? I am doing a little bit of work. I'm going to take a walk with my husband. Oh, that's nice. And um, oh, I'm actually going to see a film tomorrow that do you, you ever hear of Laura Ornest? Do you remember her? She was on 1070 or 980. She did sports and she did, I think just news. She may have done weather. Yeah. She's a good, she's a good friend. Her father owned the Clippers, I believe. What's the last name? Ornest. Ornest. Laura Ornest. Laura Ornest. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, the Clippers? I'm almost positive he owned the Clippers before, um, What's his name? Donald before, Sterling? Before Sterling. Mom is positive. He had um, something to do with sports. Yeah, I'm going to go see Argyle. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I started to say she, oh, yeah. did, uh, she did a film about her brother, I think, who had uh, who suffered from mental illness. Oh. So she did a film about him, which friends of mine have seen and said it's phenomenal. So I'm going to see that tomorrow. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to go see our gal, Brian Cranston's in it. Brian Cranston's going to come on the show, hopefully next week. Oh, so, cool. So we'll talk to him about, th- about that. Um, so lots of great stuff coming up. Uh, make sure you uh, keep on listening, keep on watching. Thank you very much. And we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Podcast.